Welcome to the Keyforge Premier League podcast, where we will focus on the people of the community that are contributing to the growth of our sport. Get inside perspectives on the reasons they play Keyforge, what they think about the community, and various other sidebars and hijinks. Be sure to go to the website, www.keyforgepremierleague.com, to find everything you need to know to get started on your path to the top. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast. And if you have any inputs or requests, please reach out to us at keyforgepremierleague at gmail.com. And we will do our best to represent the demand of the player base. The Keyforge Premier League is by the community for the community. Welcome to Keyforge Premier League Weekly. This is Jupiter from Manlius, New York. And I have with me my old friend and confidant philip mckay say hi okay folks how are we doing it's uh good to be back on i don't think i've been here since the i think i was on the first episode um, um you were in one of the episodes yeah like you've, you've yeah. been on my other podcasts as well so like you've yeah, yeah 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 it, it, it's been a while you're, you're always entertaining so <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> yeah so philip decided to uh get into a discussion with me today at like five o'clock in the morning and I happened to answer my phone because I'm an idiot and uh, he decided he wanted a podcast so here we are early morning for me um, on the spot and we want to really talk about something that's been on our minds and that's archetypes and metagame Um, so I'll let Philip uh, intro since he's the one that really was wanting to do this so I will follow in his coattails and and we'll try to learn something yeah um, I mean this is Huh? kind of uh, a bridge into competitive thought as far as this game goes. And it's a topic that I somewhat see people talking about it. Like, people have a general idea of what it means, but I think people just default back to the the base position of, oh, uh, every deck is unique, therefore they all play differently, uh, and that's it. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there are some very clearly defined strategies that tend to do better because like certain cards are better than other cards right and Mm -hmm. when you have a critical mass of those cards those decks tend to be better people look at like very simple interactions and they'll be like oh okay so this is like the x and y are good together but not necessarily the whole deck idea that comes behind that because you can't support a deck on two cards right like deck is 36 cards Mm -hmm. so when you can expand those sort of like two card interactions into okay this is actually the game plan for my whole deck is to do this certain thing even though you might be doing that certain thing with different cards like for example if you're playing coda like your game plan might be uh like just small pips steal over the course of the game you might be doing it with urchins whereas in mass mutations you might be doing it with bony things or rad pennies it's the same concept, right? But it's just it, it's it's achieved with cards. Like cards that have different pictures and different names, but like function, functionally do the same thing. So that's kind of what I mean when I'm talking about archetypes um, and sort of the meta game in Keyforge. I think the meta game actually just doesn't get discussed enough, to be honest. I think a lot of people look at individual decks and they don't really think about how they fit into what's popular and stuff like that. Yeah, I think if that, that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah. No, it, makes, it makes total sense because, like, uh, this is something I've been saying since like day one. But like, I don't know. Some people listen, some people don't. But like, the idea for me is is like that. A lot of people are just lazy about how they evaluate their decks, and SAS has kind of enabled that. And um, I love SAS to death. And like I said, I, I support everything it has statistically and stuff. But you can't just rely on SAS to get you to where you need to be in your deck selection because there's plenty of times where like you could say like I'll I'll, I'll take a niche card that's kind of like going really hot right now is like the dark amber vault right like dark amber vault everybody's like oh this is the greatest card this is so good it's really good when it's in the like if you have a dark amber vault in untamed with a vault's blessing and eight mutants behind it yeah like total value there like absolutely gonna be out you know outplayed and over you know overpowered but then you go to the buy look at the buy list and stuff like for people selling decks and you see people charging like you know five hundred dollars for a dark amber vault deck that has four mutants and they're all spread out through different houses and stuff like that and they're just because it's a dark amber vault people are actually like you know nibbling on those things and like i don't i don't understand 
like the thought process of that and then maybe it's like an education point like maybe like it's something that people just have to think about more when they're looking to buy or like you know they need to just learn how to read SaaS better but um it's kind of tricky right because like there's so many people out there that are there's there's honest vendors out there there's a lot of them that basically will tell you straight up like this deck is worth this much i don't want more than this because you know it's this and that you know and they're trying to be fair and stuff and about it but there's other vendors that are out there that are like i'm gonna put a thousand dollars on a piece of turd and i'm just gonna hope that people think that SaaS matters like and like i'm trying to protect my community about you know about that like i especially the newer players that i'm trying to bring into the game and stuff like that it's like i try to teach them straight out like like you have to look for the weakest cards in the deck and the weakest cards in the decks the ones that don't fit or don't play well those are the ones that really handicap your deck the most um and i've i've, I've been saying that since day one like you can't look at like and get enamored by the power cards quote unquote that are in your deck because those power cards might not be pulling in the same direction this is another concept that i've talked about it's kind of like doing tug of tug of war like if you put everybody in a line and you pull in one direction you have a lot more force than you would if you had a line that was split into three different um you know, three different in increments and everybody was pulling, like one was pulling down the middle and two were pulling 45 degrees off the middle. Like you wouldn't have the same kind of torque basically. And that's exactly how it works in, in, in Keyforge is like, if your three houses are all pulling in the same direction, you're going to get way more power out of it and way more fluidity and like, you know, ease of play than you are going to get if your houses are all doing separate things and they basically will become dysfunctional. And basically each house will do their thing really great, but you're playing three different turns so you're basically falling behind because you're not able to keep up with the, the curve of playing cards because uh, i explained that in one of my last uh, podcasts that i was talking about how like if you're playing the average of like you know two cards per turn your math is going to be really bad like um let me see if i can find my list i had it written on but it, it takes it, you it, seven, 17 turns to get through your deck. Yeah, yeah. Versus like if you're playing four or five cards, it it drops down down to like eight or nine or whatever. I'll look for the actual number as well. I'll pass it back to you. But uh... yeah, I think that sort of the main thing that I I'm always looking at is because I think there are very clear strategies that are dominant in each set, right? And I think code has changed very slightly. Actually, let's just start with Coda, right? Let's just let's explain exactly what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, in Coda, when the game first came out, like I know everyone liked library access. I I didn't like it. I think that was a tier two strategy at best, but it, it's one that everyone knows. So let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, like library access Nepenthe Seed was it? It's a storm deck, right? Like it's 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 combo. Uh, you set the combo up and then you go off, right? It's just very straightforward combo. Um, and it was the the simplest example of that. The other two main ones that were in Coda were uh, basically Untamed XX, usually like Untamed Shadows X, like Untamed Logos X, where you draw into some sort of degenerate combo, um, where again, you, you just burst your opponent out in a single turn, or alternatively, it was just you're trying to gain like 3-4 Amber every single turn. Um, and then the final strategy was mid-range, I guess is the best way to look at it, which is you're gaining a little bit of amber every turn, you're controlling the board, like you have damage effects, you have board clear effects, you have a little bit of everything, but you're not exactly trying to, like you're not trying to burst from like 0 to 18 and like forge 3 keys. Um, and so that's, that's what I sort of mean by archetypes, right? Like there's, they're, they're more clearly defined in other games, because, of course, you don't have all the baggage of, like, bad cards, which you will get in Keyforge. But I think it's, it's, it's really important to understand that certain archetypes do exist, and they are just better because certain cards exist in sets. So I think, like, Coda um, Rush used to be way stronger. Like, I think, I think Rush is, like, Coda Rush is really bad because Worlds Collide exists and Mass Mutations exist, and there's so much capture... Um, and mass capture is much more prominent than mass steel. Like tribute is a card, um, so rush is much weaker now. So I think like the dominant strategy in Coda is pretty much universally um, mid range in some capacity, right? Like it's something where you're trying to play good creatures um, that have good permanent effects. Um, key examples usually come out of Dis and Logos now. So things like Mother, Ember Imps, Shaffle, like all the Imps um, are nuts. Uh, Mother is the big one coming out of Logos and Coda. 
Um, and I guess things like Ganymede Archivist uh, are also up there, mm-hmm. although Mother is definitely the main one. Um, and th- it's a really good indicator of whether or not your deck is good is if they have a critical mass of cards that fit into these mid-range strategies. So I think back in set one, uh, when it was only set one, I think the best house combination was Dis Shadows Untamed um, because you have very good creatures in Dis, very good control elements in Dis. Shadows gave you so much amber control and then Untamed gave you a really good way to burst amber. Mm-hmm. Um, now that bursting amber is way weaker, in my opinion, um, or the type of amber burst that Coda does, I think that Untamed is much weaker. So I think the dominant archetype now coming out of Coda is Dis Shadows Logos midrange, where what you're trying to do is ping things, um, remove like key cards, you've got artifact control, you've got board control, mm-hmm. uh, you have access to stuff like interdimensional graft, um, effervescent principle, too much to protect, uh, and ping steals in order to like take your opponent off keys. And you have the consistency of cards like Mother. So that's what I think about Coda. Yeah, I think I think that you're spot on with that. I think those are the two strongest archetypes, regardless of what you're looking at, because um, decent logos are obviously the two most powerful houses through all the sets. Um, they've been very, they've been very um, consistent with the uh, kind of value that they bring for what they do, and. Um, I think that Logos is important because it lets you basically re resupply your disruption from this or like whatever you're doing and build towards your end game with Untamed um, by uh, on those turns where like your opponent doesn't really reply to you in a way where you have the ability to take something from them or do anything like that. Logos is important because it still lets you cycle through your deck and get to even stronger cards than what you have in your hand. Um, so I, I do like Logos a lot. Um, I think this is by far the strongest house. Um, I know it's not necessarily the most popular opinion, but um, I know it's like a 50-50 with Logos, but I think Dece just does things... Like I like Dece because it plays on my opponent's half of the board, and like uh, the disruption factor that it brings in Coda especially um, was crazy, and the ability to just wipe a board and then repopulate it instantly with the gateway to, uh, the, the gateway to Dis Arise combo was one that uh, I found to be probably the most like just end game play in all, all the out of all the sets minus like maybe like super dust pixie combo into Chota native yeah. call kind of thing. But um, those are the two things. Those are the two like end game end game like scenarios that uh, Coda brought to the table. I thought that were the two best was the uh, gateway arise lock and win or you know, you play the Nature's Call, Chota, Hazri, like super combo, like Hunting Witch, Dust Pixie, whatever, however you get there with a ton of Amber. Yeah. Which you can make basically burst out two keys in one turn. And that was pretty, that was pretty, uh, pretty standard um, top of the line type of play. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think this comes, it comes into sort of the game develops, right? Like decks that were good in set one, a lot of those decks are actually no longer good. There are actually very few decks, I think, that were, super dominant in set one that are as good as they used to be mm-hmm. or got better. I think most of them got worse. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually comes down to a small number of very key cards. Uh, one of them is Edai. Mm-hmm. I think the other one's Tribute. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, like, ah, uh, this is this is a little, maybe, maybe a little bit testy, but I think... Um, like stuff like Fandangle and Cephaloist in uh, in set four also really dampened those strategies as well. I think EA was pretty strong too. Yeah, sorry, EA on the fringes is, is, is like that. That card is nuts as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially when you have really three of them in a deck, it gets really crazy. Yeah, shout out to Daphne Vega. Um, <laughs> shout out, I got so <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's that's kind of like where Coda used to stand it used to be that more rush base and now i think if this is part of the reason why i think we don't necessarily see as much coda being played because people have always i think all the top players have always agreed that coda is always going to be playable um yeah and at least at the highest level and I, I genuinely believe that i think if if this game managed to go for 10 sets but like let's not get into that mm-hmm. I, I still think coda would be playable um but it would exclude pretty much exclusively be like a very small number of dis shadows uh untamed decks and dis logos shadows decks and then like the occasional thing like um like pink fraud but like frankly like this is not like a slide on on dunk or anything i feel like decks like that are kind of uh becoming weaker um as 
as new decks come out, although players aren't getting better. So, you know, maybe Dunkle will like, still be able to freeload off the fact that he's really good and has a really good deck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's not freeloading that's just being good at the game yeah dunk is actually yeah. pretty knowledgeable <laughs> yeah it definitely is definitely one of the best yeah. players in the world um even though absolutely have a great showing online online is so different though like nah, um, online is for scrubs it, it, it's a it's not for scrubs <laughs> but it's it's a different it's a different mindset right so yeah um, um let's move on to aoa though because aoa i actually think is the most interesting point of discussion here because there are so few really good AOA decks because, like, I think we can cl you can definitely clearly say there is an archetype preference that you have when you pick Coda, which is you want to have dis Dislogos Shadows essentially or Dis Shadows X. Um, but when it comes to Untamed, I think as when it comes to Untamed, when it comes to AOA, I think it gets pretty janky because. Untamed, uh, untamed. For, what do I keep saying? Untamed. I, I, I've got my mind on a particular card because um, I want to talk about punctuated equilibrium. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, I feel like there are just particular cards that are so busted in AOA compared to the rest of the set that you have to re like. If you're playing AOA, you have to play one of those cards. Like with with Coda, there are so many good cards. Like Arise, Control the Weak. Um, in 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 Dis, for example, like Restring Guntus, like Ember Imp, all that sort of stuff, mm. Drumbles. Um, and then in Logos, you've got, like I said, um, Mother is the big one. Shadows, you've got, you know, Too Much to Protect, um, Urchins, uh, Nerve Blast, Relentless Whispers, things like that. In all right, so get, and you, before you list off your list, let me let me play, play yeah. the game because I don't know what your list is, right? Like you have okay, list. this is just for AOA. Yeah, yeah, this is just for it's AOA. literally three so, cards. So, so literally, like in AOA, I think that the cards that you're thinking of, I, I get myself a, I, I don't know, like I don't know where you're going, but like the three most busted cards in AOA I can think of are Punctuated Equilibrium, which is obvious, um, Exhum, which is absolutely ridiculous, and Eureka. Those are three the three that come to my head like instantly from AOA that were monster cards. Yeah, okay. I agree with one out of three, which is Punctuate. You got that one for free. <laughs> okay. um, no, so I would have guessed that anyway. It's my favorite card from the set. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, that card's nuts. But I think I think the, the Exhum and Eureka are really good, but they don't run a deck on themselves. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, which is kind of what I'm trying to get at. Like, where so I, I think guess, with, I guess, I guess if if that's the thing, then you're talking generosity, obviously. Um, yeah. You're talking about uh, punctuated equilibrium, and you're talking about yep. grump buggy. Like, those are only three things that I think that are archetypes from AOA that I can think of. Maybe not. See, so, you know, I'm not actually high on grump buggy, yeah, but yeah, I am I super high. I'm super high on Ronnie Wrist Clocks. Oh, Ronnie Wrist Clocks. Like, yeah, fair. Yeah, like I think there's. In, in AOA, whenever I look at AOA, there are basically, again, three archetypes. One, mid-range. I think mid-range still manages to exist in AOA, and it's, you know, like Dis Shadows Untamed um, uh, or, or Dis Shadows Logos, right? Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same as in set one. It's just that the cards, are, you're using differently named cards to do the same thing, right? Like instead of Urchin, you have Running Risk Clocks. Instead of Dodger, you have Yancey Gang. Mm -hmm. um, instead of... I don't know, like Fagan, you have Brend. Um, or instead of, you know, Gateway to Dis, you have Unlocked Gateway or, 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 or whatever, right? Or, or, or um, Pain is, Reaction or something. And, and this is the evolution of the designers, right? Like the designers are basically trying to get the cards that were OP in, in Coda to still be relevant, but they're trying to make them fair. And so yeah, yeah, exactly. you're going to see this process through every set where you're going to see cards go, oh, I remember in Coda this card was this, but now it's back to this. Like, uh, I think a good example of like regression too is the uh, gateway to disc into unlocked gateway because they realized yeah. unlocked gateway wasn't, or gateway to disc wasn't really the problem. It was a rise. So once they figured yes. that out, they went back to gateway to disc because it's just, a, it's a pretty fair card for what it's supposed to do. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think like again in AOA, we got mid-range and that's a super strong strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and like Binet Graft, while I don't think it's a great combo, mm -hmm. it does actually play into that. Um, and it's actually counterplay to one of the other cards that I think is key, which is Martian Generosity. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Martian Generosity and key, key Abduction is a two-card key, right? It just instantly gives you a key mm -hmm. uh, and a ton of advantage in hand. Um, it's super strong. And it's a really good way to finish games. It's got more counterplay to it, I think, because your opponent can, like, let you forge, um, like, put you to six and let you forge, 
Uh, and then you never get value out of Martian Generosity as long as they can tempo out or they can just steal all your amber or capture all your amber or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one is like Ronnie Risk Clocks. And I've seen a few decks that just do the Ronnie Risk Clocks thing so well. And the idea is you either like you're looping Ronnie Risk Clocks with um, like not finished with use, exhumes, hysterias, stuff like that. So I, I think it, it is mainly those three cards. Um, and I think that's an archetype into itself as well. I've seen a few, like not just Tamarack, like obviously Tamarack is one of, is like, I don't know, one of the main ones that does that. I've definitely seen decks that do it better um, in AOA. I've seen decks that do it worse, uh, but it, it, it's another, uh, another archetype where all you're doing for the whole game is I have this particular card or like two copies of this card and all I'm going to do is just loop it forever. And that's, that's another archetype that you know we don't see as often because it's super niche it requires a very specific set of cards but fortunately i think at the top end of of aoa we do actually have like those martian generosity decks i think are genuinely very good if they're supported by other stuff um and punctuated equilibrium is just like a nuts card Mm -hmm. um and i think there's actually pretty decent gas in aoa untamed as long as you don't have bumblebirds um <laughs> the other sort of like secondary consideration is like Drummond or Ganga Chieftain and uh and Grump Buggy. I think they're like they're very solid. Uh I think probably AOA Brobnar is unironically the best that Brobnar has ever been, even though weirdly it doesn't play like Brobnar. Mm-hmm. Um it, 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 it actually plays like untamed, in my opinion. Um because what are you trying to do? You're trying to clear the board and then play a like a combo that loops you five amber. So that sounds like Untamed to me. Like, so it sounds like set one Untamed anyway. They just kind of shifted it into the wrong house um, and made it, you know, six power creatures instead of hunting witches. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there are any other archetypes in AOA. That's kind of all I can think of. And I think that, that unlike Coda, where Rush, I think, is dead now, I think Rush is unplayable. Uh, I don't know, maybe you have a different opinion on that. But I think all of those archetypes from AOA, when you have really good decks... They are super good. Like, Sasha is still a playable deck. Like, Rusty Vox, I think Rusty Vox is the best AOA deck in the game. Um, like, that deck's really good. Um, uh, the There's, like, a triple brand deck that I've seen, like, that's really high up. That's very good as well. Um, yeah, so I think there are some really playable top-end AOA decks, and they I think they will also always be playable. Uh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Um, interesting thought on the the rush um i think i don't think rush is dead i just think the the traditional like i'm going to dump mana and hold mana and make keys off of a ton of amber is dead but what i think of rush now is like i think more of it as a you have to have a key out to the back end of your burst right yeah like um, if you have the key out to the back end of your burst i think that's the evolved rush right like that's the one that says i have to kind of set up a little bit more it's more combo oriented versus uh overwhelming uh, amber generation right um i think that is still viable um but you have to be careful with that as well because like with infernus and stuff being around like uh a lot of these like multiple pip cards now don't have the same value they used to have right because it's basically like you're you know you're basically hoping to get your amber on the board and not get it eaten by this infernus and then like at the wrong time yeah. the infernus comes along and just really like puts a hinder on your on your game build to a key right so um absolutely so there's there's definitely things that are getting put in place to kind of change archetypes and get them to where they got to go and i think that the game is heading more towards combo ish and synergy um type plays and that's why like i think that it's much more effective to have three houses pulling in one direction because you really need to be building every play has to build off of each other to have a chance because if you have a dead turn where like um, your cards basically go man we're not really impacting the game in any kind of way it's basically like you might as well cast control the week on yourself um and like it basically will put you behind a turn which is in this game if the other opponent's deck is doing what it's supposed to do you're going to pay for that like you're going to pay big for that so and um that's the kind of attrition that you're not going to get back um without your opponent making a huge mistake so um the game yeah. the, the game is very much like what can you do for me this turn if you don't do that if you're not moving your game state forward you're taking a chance that your opponent is going to do something to push their 
push their agenda forward and um, basically be able to capitalize on that. And like uh, a good example of that was I had an AVR game this week where we had Amber control three or less, which is a train wreck because like basically everybody's playing either like some weird like creature combo type thing where like they're going to play a ton of creatures and just reap out like real fast and try to win or they're playing like a you know brainstem antenna like you know with their one mind warper hoping to you know slow down the rush and then there's people that are just playing a ton of rush and um literally it's a train wreck because like in a best of one game like that could be anybody's game anytime because no matter what the sass is because without having any amber control in the game it, it just basically gets to be who can out attrition their their opponent like who can outgain their opponent and uh as long as you stay ahead in the game or you win that match like uh because there's not enough amber control to stop that but um in a real game state like um that doesn't happen normally, right? Amber control is a very important thing. So, um... yeah. So I, I think the like I don't know. Just to summarize for the for the listeners, um, like basically, I, I am actually getting at a at a general point here, which is overall mid range is super busted in this game. <laughs> like I just think compared to every other archetype, it's so overpowered. Because I think Coda mid range is the uh, like now unless you are the sort of person who really likes flipping coins where um, you like the idea of just, if I draw the top 12 card, like if I draw all untamed and I win the game, then like, yeah, sick one. Um, mm-hmm. Then you can play Russian in AOA, but otherwise you like, you have to play mid range. You, you look at AOA and Martian generosity decks there. Usually the good ones are mid range decks with a combo finish, um, which as far as I care as a mid range deck, the Ronnie decks and mid-range decks, uh, and then you just have regular old mid-range decks that are just trying to play value. Then we get Worlds Collide, and Worlds Collide is also just the home of mid-range. Again, like, it's it, every everything that's good in there, all the good cards are mid-range cards still. Yeah, all, all, the good, all the good cards are, like, Edai uh, and Tribute. I think Edai and Tribute are two big ones. Um, Infernus is there as well. I, I'm not as high on Infernus as a lot of other people are, but it's still a very, very good card. Um, and... Again, that came out. Uh, we got Saurians coming out with a ton of capture, a lot of ways to use board amber uh, and warding to make it that capturing was an even stronger mechanic uh, than it had been in set. In set one, it was a pretty much whatever mechanic. It didn't really matter. Um, yeah, Shadows got nerfed, but like Saurians exists, so it didn't matter. Um, combo is non-existent in, in, in set three. I literally cannot think of a single combo deck that I've ever seen uh, in set three, uh, yeah, like correct me if I'm wrong, but I've I've just never I've never even seen one. I guess there might be something that you can do with like weird data forge things, um, but I I I can't really think of it in my head having seen that ever competitively. The closest that I've ever seen are decks that loop um, helmsman spears and just draw a bunch of cards. But again, that's not really like a combo finish. They're just you know drawing a bunch of cards and being super efficient. So no World's Collide like- came out and they just said, okay, you can't play Rush anymore. Um, if you want to play on the board, you have to be able to deal with Saurians. You have to be able to deal with, like, World's Collide, like, the best two houses, in my opinion, by Country Mile, are Logos and Saurians. Like, this is up there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I, th- I actually don't think there's much to say on World's Collide. Like, I think it's a really, really strong set. I think it's the, uh, in general, it's the best. I-, I, think, I think the top decks in Coda are still the best decks in the game. But I think Worlds Collide is equally as good, um, or only very slightly worse. But it has like one playable archetype because every single card is kind of in that archetype anyway. Um, Mass Mutations is slightly more interesting though because there are a lot of different ways to win the game in Mass Mutations. In 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 Worlds Collide, you just won the game by grinding out advantage. In Mass Mutations. Um, and that, that, like, the, that's not to say that that, was, that wasn't significant because it, it seriously changed the way that we had to play the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but with mass mutations, it's like, okay, so you can play these auto-encoder decks where you're trying to set up these massive turns out of your archives. You can play uh, Dark Amber Vault, which, um, you know, it's, it's fine. It has to have support. But again, it's like you, you're trying to set up these weird um, draw through your whole deck turns constantly and just gain you know eight amber a turn um you can play uh very very i guess board interactive um builds where you're trying to control the board and just play super mid-rangey um 
or you can play very, very fast, aggressive decks and try and abuse all the janky stuff that Untamed has. So I think Mass Mutations actually was a bit of a return to set one pure coder in the sense that it has so many more viable archetypes, I think, than any other set. Now, whether or not they're all good, I think is a different question. And frankly, I, I don't really know. You've played more Mass Mutations than me. I, I have one deck that's Mass Mutations, <laughs> um, and I got it exclusively just so I have a deck that's Mass Mutations in case I need to play Mass Mutations. Mm-hmm. You've played more Mass Mutations than me. This is your field of expertise. Go. I think Mass Mutations is actually a very good set. Like I think it has a lot of things going for it, and the idea that these um, pit placement, like the extra pit placements, they tend to really shift decks into different levels right like into different things um i think mass mutations might be the hardest set to figure out what the best decks are but a lot of the best decks really depend on where you're going with it because like i think that some of the best cards in the set like are still your board wipes and stuff like your amber lucians and things like that um the card is ridiculous but at the same time there's still a good amount of rush potential now with the dav and the vault blessing i think vault blessing is is like an absolutely retarded card when you get like a great amounts of like mass mutations into it and i'm sure i offended somebody by saying that but is, I'm, I'm is vault, vault blessing the um uh, it's gain one for every mutant you have yeah right yeah okay. and, I, and, I right. Think, and i think that's that's gonna power scale a bit on the um as we get away from mass mutations as well because that card is just going to become like it 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 gives if you play mass mutations and your opponent is not playing mass mutations it gives you a huge swing an advantage but if you're playing mass mutations versus mass mutations now it's not it doesn't seem as good right um and 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 that's kind of like how i feel with mass mutations i feel like when you play in-house against its you know against itself like it's pretty balanced like you can definitely balance out like the game and like you can basically you don't have mass advantages and stuff like that but when you start playing decks that are not in mass mutations against mass mutations i think mass mutations then has this weird power surge right and like people see it and go wow that's crazy right um there are decks out there that are obviously busted like the top percent of um mass mutations might be the best of all the sets i think when you if whoa you, okay that's a huge call yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna say it because um okay the, the the dav decks that i've seen out there that are actually pulling in the same direction with logos untamed and shadows like and, and basically they're all firing on the dav cylinder with like 12 to 14 mutants and uh like tons of value like everywhere like those kind of decks are absolutely crazy and kip has a good good stash of them if you wanted to see what i'm talking about um go look up like grant or jason's collection and stuff or go look at the decks that they've been playing um they did a really good job of identifying what a good dav deck looks dav deck looks like and um basically have uh tried to corner the market on those um, so they have a lot of really nice quality dav decks, and um, yeah. So like, I, I think that some of those decks are just they can flat out play with the best of the best uh, decks. That's, that's interesting. Okay, so you think okay, if you were going to tier list the four sets, and you are only looking at like 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 four copies of Phil Mackay show up to play a triad event, right? <laughs> and one of them is playing like three times Coda, one's playing three times AOA, one's playing three times Worlds Collide, one's playing three times Mass Mutations. Mass Mutations. How do they finish up? Mass Mutations wins, like in that situation. I think Mass Mutations takes first, Coda takes second, Worlds Collide takes third, and AOA takes fourth. Wow. Okay. Right. You really think <laughs> Mass Mutations is that good? Okay, okay. At, no, the I'm, top, I'm at the top end, yes, I think it's that good. Um, once you get past that 5%, I think it drops off significantly. But like I'm, I'm saying like in the very top bracket, like the best of the best, if you had the best of the best of the decks, like I think that that's something... I mean, I guess that's something we could try to prove, right? We could go through and find triads of the th- four different sets and we could play the games and record them for people to see how they how they interact with each other. If you're if you yeah watching, okay if you want it's to do it's, that. it's interesting so 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 what cards do you think are exactly the cards in that that make mass mutations so good this is an interesting discussion because mass mutations I think a lot of people still don't understand how I don't understand how it works because my coder and and worlds collider busted um, so I have no need to pick the setup uh, but all right. You've played a lot more of it than I have you, you, you so like me, what are the key cards you put me on on the spot right so let me. 
like look up a deck that can give you a reference of what I think if it's if yeah it's, okay because like in my mind like while while you're doing that mm -hmm. in my mind the way that I look at mass mutations is it's again a set which I I think mass mutations is kind of like AOA in the sense that at the really really the highest level even though you do have multiple different strategies that are all very very viable I feel like at the like these tippity top decks are essentially a combination of Dark Amber Vault, Professor Torado, um, Auto Encoder, Lethal Logica. I'm basically just talking about Logos here. Like I think they all have Logos. I think Logos is the best set, uh, best house in Mass Mutations. Um, even though I think Grim Reminder is the best card, I think Logos is the best house. Um, and then stuff in Untamed, like Fandangle, Cephaloists. Um, the there's another creature that I can see the picture in my mind, but I forget what it's called or what it does. Uh, and like savage clash and things like that sorry fandangle yeah i can't remember if i said fandangle but yeah uh, I don't like i didn't hear but I, stuff I like fandangle. that fandangle professor Torado, like all those cards are, are, are huge when it comes to it all right hold on i'm still looking for this a deck that yeah that's see, see in my mind mass mutation just loses to board wipes i don't that's I think that's absolutely that's the true. issue i have okay I'm, I'm looking for because, the deck. Hold on. I'm trying to put all the cards that I think are, are, are crucial into a version of what I think is good. So. Right. Okay. Because when I when I look at a lot of these top mass mutations decks, and again, like you'll have to correct me because my actual understanding of this game stops after set three. Mm -hmm. um, it looks to me like very creature heavy decks, and a lot of creature heavy decks that are not like on play do something. But they have static effects. Now, if, if your static effect is Fandangle, which makes all of your creatures say on play, do something, then, okay, I get it. But it feels to me like a lot of these, these uh, decks are just kind of, they're piles of cards that when you put plus two power on them, they get really good. And to me, I just, I don't really feel like that's great. Um, I, I understand like drawing a bunch of cards is really cool, but... It, it genuinely doesn't feel to me like MM can stand. I think because, and this is this is like me being hundred here. If I were to rank like those top, like you know those four copies of Phil playing Triad, and he brings the three best decks in each um, in each set without like trying to metagame anything, then I think I I would have picked it as um, Coda comes first. Or like draws for first with worlds collide, and then AOA after them, and then mass mutations, uh, because of that exact point that I just raised. Where I think like mass mutations is super board reliant, um, or, or like there are just pieces that you know it's the deck is very contingent upon you sticking um, auto encoder, or the deck is very contingent upon you sticking dark amber vault, or like drawing those cards early and so that you can the, actually the, do the, things. Those aren't the only keys in, in the set either. You have Mark of Dece, you have Professor Tavarada, like I said. You still have like the, the Vault's Blessing value. You still have Obsidian Forge. There's like there's a lot of things that still go into the mix. Um, I'm not saying like it's, it's it's a narrow archetype, but I know that for a fact that like recently that um, the Dark Amber Vault like super combo decks are the ones that have been doing really well. Um, okay. I, not sure. I wish I knew the names of the decks that I've seen played, but I don't. But if you look at Jason's collection, it's probably in there. He has Do you think that's just because people don't know how to play against them? Possibly. Okay. Possibly. Because I, I, I think I had this, this issue with, um, with Coda, like when I went to Nationals, where I just sort of thought, okay, people don't know how to play against like these particular cards. Like People don't understand how to play against a deck that can... Uh, a ri double arise, triple control the week. Like people don't know how what like what you're supposed to do against that. Mm -hmm. People don't know what to do against Silzilly. I think people still don't know what to do against Silzilly. Um, that's a, that's a that's a bad example. Um, I say Silzilly uh, kind of just doesn't look like anything on paper, and then like when it plays, yeah, yeah, yeah. It plays well. Yeah. So and that's because you put time into it. Yeah. Um. I whereas with like with AOA, people were very clear on. Okay, you have to play around Martian Generosity. How do we do that? Let your opponent forge, um, or steal all their amber. And then in set three, it's also, you know, there are key cards that decks hinge around, right? Like if, you're, if your deck has Tribute Six Emperor, then you play into Tribute Six Emperor, right? Like that's a combo that you hold on to or, or like Crassosaurus Six Emperor or whatever interaction you want to say. Um, you, you set those interactions up and the game be becomes how do you play into your setup 
and how does your opponent play around that setup? And that's kind of the metagame that revolves around those top end decks, or it could be Edai, right? It's like I my game plan is to tax you for Edai's and like put you into positions where I force you to you know do suboptimal lines in order to forge. Um, or it could be you know my my game plan is to purge half of your deck within Furnace and then just grind you out of the game, or with uh, E on the fringes or whatever. Whereas with mass mutations. I like I don't necessarily see that. All I see is like, okay, I look at my opponent's list and they have Dark Amber Vault. I'm not a bad player, so I run artifact control in my best of one Archon decks. They play Dark Amber Vault, I play Poltergeist, then I win the game. And I I don't see a whole lot of counterplay in Mass Mutations, if I'm being very honest. Like I think it's a very, very fun set to play. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, especially I think against itself, I, I feel like the sealed events and mass mutations are fantastic. But in in terms of Archon competitive, which is where I'm more concerned, I just don't feel like that that set actually can stand up to the other three at all. Interesting. Um, so this is being hard harder search than I thought. So like, see, I'm not, I'm not there you go. The proof is in the pudding. No, I think it's. Let me do it this way. This is probably what I'm doing wrong. It's like I'm looking for specific combos, and let me just look at the top end of the, uh, the scale. That will that'll help me find it. Yeah, I think like mass mutations. Um, I think because we haven't had some of the better players in the game playing non-mass mutations against mass mutations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I specifically mean, like, when I say some of the better players in the game, I mean, like, the people that, like, you know, we would have expected to have seen in, like, top eight at World Championships. Um, th- because we, we haven't seen those players playing non-MM against MM, I think there might be a perception that it's stronger than it is. I think it also... Oh, you've sent, finally, you sent me a deck. Yeah, I think it also just um, appeals very much to, like, not the casual player, but you know, just um, oh, okay. You've just sent me like the yeah number like candle holder. Okay, yeah, like this deck's nuts, right? But this is a mid range deck. So for for context, for yeah, yeah. Is, but is I'm saying thing. that 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 deck competes like pretty hard. Yeah, yeah. Like, the okay. Antonies, so the Antonies are, are are crazy good and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So for, for every, everyone who's listening, the the deck is um candle holder, the shrewdly hardened, which is the highest saturated deck on mass mutations. And I agree. I think this deck is like probably top 20 in the world. Um, and it does a lot of very generous stuff. Um, but, but again, it is, uh, it is just, a, it's, it's a mid-range deck, right? Like, it plays exactly yeah. the same as any good Saurian Star Alliance Logos deck does from, um, from Worlds Collide or any good um, Dishadows Logos deck plays from Call of the Archons. Like, I don't think it's any different in any capacity, right? Instead of having Gateway to Dis. Uh, well, I mean, this deck actually has Gateway to Dis. I was going to say it's having Gateway to Dis. You have Quintrino Flux, but it has that as well. Instead of having Drumble, you have Antony, right? Instead of having Arise, you have Grim Reminder. Instead of having uh, Relentless Whispers, you have Infernus. Like, it, it, it's it, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, uh, the cards are all, like, one-to-one, basically the same. Um, the second one is Zygonote, the Worm of the Hillfort. Um, and again, like I hate to be a broken record here, but this is literally a mid-range deck, right? Yeah, like, they're all they're, exactly they're, the same. Thing. But they're they're mid-range, but they have explosive potential in that one because that one has a, 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 a vault's blessing. Well, I know that was Candleholder that had the vault's blessing in shadows, right? Yeah. So like, uh, I think, there, I there's, think there's, this... there's a lot of weirdness in Candleholder. It's really good. Zygote is yeah, not as good, obviously. I don't think, but these are also not examples of the combos. I'm just going off the top end of the SAS list and just looking through and going, yeah, these are decent. But the ones that, like. I wish I had Jason's list to show you because that's the one that I, I'm really big. And the the one I just showed you, the Zygo, it has the safe house like Bonithing combo. Like that's a loop that's pretty yeah. pretty silly and super repressive. Yeah, safe um, house Bonithing is really really one, dumb. And this one's it's, good too. This one has Johnny again, like, Longfingers in it. Johnny Longfingers is very underrated. So like, um, so when I see like safe house Bonithing, I'm like, this is the same as a Ronnie Risk Clock deck from Airway. Yeah, right. right. Like it play it plays the same way, and I think like that that strategy has actually become too I would argue it's actually too prevalent in the game. The fact that you that even when you pull out like the top three decks in, in MM, um, when we're trying to find like more interesting stuff. Um, and I think these are objectively like some of the, the best Mathutations decks anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the it, better it, sins it, decks, the better sins decks that have the scale and stuff in them are, are pretty damn 
oppressive yeah. as well. But they're also mid mid range late game kind of exactly. Design. And I think I think this is actually kind of a design issue um, with to do with the mechanics of Keyforge. Um, and I mean, like you could talk about how like exactly where this stems from. I think it has to do with the fact that the game mechanic of how you win is uh, it's about forging your third key. Like it has nothing to do with forging your first key or your second key, unless you're a combo deck. Um, but otherwise, it's about forging your third key. So it doesn't really matter what happens with those first like seventeen right. number. Here, here's a, here's a first like this one's like way down the list a little bit, but um, well, do I like this deck? I do like this deck. This is the kind of deck that is really oppressive against you because of Pismire. Like triple Pismire against non um, mass mutations is going to be a pain in the butt. And yeah. um, and then you have the vine tree, like the vine apple tree, which actually gets value here because it adds on to the Pismire attacks. It kind of gives you that, like if they blow up the board, it has the Kurzap and the Lithologica, the inquiries to be running through it. it has animator, which is the be is like a very underrated card. Um, Animator is great because I can animate my opponent's artifacts and kill them. Like that's yeah. just stupid good, and a lot of people haven't figured that out yet either. So this might be a new yeah. flash for them. But <laughs> this is like how Harvest Time is like one of the best artifact control cards in the game. But yeah. a lot of people don't even know that you can target artifacts with it. Um, yeah. yeah. So this deck is precisely extravagant Ulagan. Again, I look at this and I'm like, cool. What does this do? Pismire is Edai. Yeah. Like the, yeah. The, it's it's a red penny is uh, is urchin. Um, I mean, and that goes to say with what I said earlier, right? It's like they're always taking cards from the first set and they're trying to balance them, right? And so the argument yeah, that you um, have, the argument that you have is very fair as to say that like Kodo should never be beat, right? Okay. Well, yes, because I actually don't see any difference between like I could literally go through this entire list or any of these lists go. except for the Sins there's, ones. There's, um, there's a special one for you. That one has okay, all kinds yeah. of coda coda references for you. Yeah, and but I think this is this is really the thing that's happened with the game is that you can actually go through a lot of these new decks like card for card and be like, cool, this like daughter is mother, but like slightly weaker, but daughter is mother, right? Like Quizap is gateway to dis or whatever. Like Pismaya is X, um, and like uh, Savage Clash is Y, and Bone Thing is X, and Rab Penny is Y, and you can look at all of these new cards and you can find one for one comparisons with these cards in the previous sets and it's becoming kind of an issue because uh i don't actually need to pick up this new set all i need to know is like what are the one-to-ones that i have to understand i have to understand that eclectic inquiry is basically the same as i don't know sloppy lab work right mm -hmm. um like functionally it's in terms of net advantage it's basically the same thing but you have no choice on it instead of having the choice of sloppy lab work mm -hmm. um it's it's weird and i think it's something that people should actually spend more time looking at, which is instead of looking at a deck in the context of, um, like, what are the individual cards um, and what's the overall uh, game plan as well, is looking at it like, how does this game plan actually relate to game plans that already exist in the game? And are they actually exactly the same? Because some of these decks do almost <laughs> card for card play exactly the same as decks that we've already seen before. And they're... You know, they have the same SAS ratings um, and like pretty much everything about them plays exactly the same. It's just that they happen to, happen to have different pictures on those cards. Uh, it, it's, 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 a weird, it's a weird phenomenon. I've never actually seen it so blatantly in, um, in any other game. Yeah, and like I said, in Mass Mutations, like it's hard to tell you what is best and what's not best because I don't know where any of the extra pips are going right and the extra pips tend to, to really sway the card values as yeah. well because um I, I just think that there's like in the right situation with mass mutations i think mass mutations is definitely the a top tier group especially when you find the right amounts of amber pips and the thing that sas doesn't account for and the thing that sas can't see is the value that those pips are bringing to a deck so that's why for sure. mass mutations sas might be the most unreliable number for mass mutations that of all the sets because, yeah i agree with because, that because of the variance of those pips and the pips are like if you have a gateway to disc that has a capture pip on it like it's just a gateway to disc it's not the pip matters none but if that sure. if that gateway to disc has two like damage tokens on it that's huge because now you're popping words and getting super value out of your gateway yeah. to disc right so that's like gateway to disc on steroids so like i mean like that's the, I, can, I think that's the hardest thing with mass mutations is like uh you're not gonna find the best um 
the best deck isn't going to necessarily be the highest SAS deck, right? Like, I'm looking at these SAS sure. decks, and I'm going, wow, these 90s are pretty good. Like, Candle Holder is pretty outstanding, I think, even no matter where the pips are going, because I like the card combination there. But, like, yeah. um, the other, the next couple of them, I'm looking at going, eh, these are, these are pretty sweet and stuff, but, um, like... I've seen other variations of these, of, of like vault, like I said, like Dark Amber Vault combos and stuff like that that are just really sick. And they're sick because they have like 13 draw icons from like 15 Infomorphs, you know, obviously an exaggeration, but like, you know, like if, yeah. they, if they basically are, they're playing like all these cards and then they're getting value because they're drawing cards as well. Good morning, Harlan. Um, but they were basically, uh, they were basically, um, you know, getting crazy with the amount of draws that they're getting, or the amount of extra value they get off of that draw. Or like, if you get into the Saurian houses, like the Saurian houses have all these extra captures now that help with like, you know, pushing things around. And then you have this card called Curiosaurus, which is absolutely stupid because if you spread your amber out one across the board on all your creatures, and then they kill them, they all go to their biggest creature. And then when that biggest creature dies, you take all that amber. Like that's a pretty tactical card right like sure there, there's all kinds of stuff like that and then like you have the curiosaurus with faust like so the two really synergize well together to make story yep. even better etc etc so like you really like the more you play mm the more you understand mm i think and like um i think you would probably enjoy it more but the problem is is you have to find the right decks that have the right pips and stuff like that like sure. um, i think yeah like like i showed you daniela this morning like i keep talking about yeah. her but if you want to play a fun mass mutation deck go play daniela like uh, i think the pips are on the uh, on the card if not i'll put them there so people can play it but like um she's absolutely super fun to play mid-range again um lots of control elements but um once you figure out how to play her and stuff like that the polyosaurus library of polyosaurus engine is absolutely crazy like um and it does nasty yeah things. i think stuff like that is it, it's cool but it ends up coming like back to the same sort of idea which is every set you end up being able to just default to mid-range like you can be so comfortable and uh basically just play the same thing every single time like if you want to if you if you want to be competitive like sick like sick cheat to being a competitive player is just play mid-range um i think in in keyforge and get your it, and get your reps in right like it's important yeah exactly like you you just get you just get comfortable with playing mid-range and you automatically are better than 95 percent of the players in the room because a lot of people are just too busy you know, trying to set up all these, um, like, very cute interactions. And meanwhile, you're just there, like, cool, I gain three amber a turn, kill one of your creatures, and, like, archive a card. And, like, if that's your play every single turn, you win the game, like, 85% of the time with no skill whatsoever. Um, uh, it, it's, it, like I said, I've never actually seen such a... I genuinely think the game is very homogenous right now. Um, when it, Like, if we... If someone were to say, like, what do you think the metagame is? I would just say it's mid-range, and you bash your mid-range decks against other players. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is it's very skill-intensive, right? Like, right. playing mid-range versus mid-range is really, really difficult because you're winning on super small margins, right? Like, you're winning on, oh, I arised for a, an additional card worth of value, and that scales into me having one more creature on board, and therefore, over the course of three turns, I have three more amber than you. Like, that's the sort of margin that you're winning on at high-level mid-range gameplay, or even just, like, any level mid-range gameplay. It's very, very small margins. Whereas the combo is just like, cool, I drew, you know, I drew my, my Master Generosity, and then I managed to hit the key adduction, and then I won the game. Um, it's it, it does mean the game becomes very skill-intensive, and I'd like to see... Uh, like, I would like to see more cards in future sets that are more dedicated towards other game plans. Um, because, like, particularly pure, like, actual true control um, or just alternative win conditions of some kind. I think that's something that we really, we're, we're missing in this game quite a lot because, um, like, putting aside Redacted, which is, like, that's, that's a meme card. Um, I mean, serious alternate win conditions. Uh, because in this game mid-range is super, super dominant. Um, if, if suddenly, like, mid-range has to deal with, like, Exodia combos coming out um, or, you know, things like if you set up certain artifacts, you win the game. Or, like, if you play a card with certain conditions, you win the game. I think that needs to start happening because right now you can always just default to what are my best three mid-range decks and just take those and you'll, you'll do really well. Like, in, not just Triad, but... Um, if you go to any event like survival or whatever, like if I went to survival, I would play triple mid range every single time. I, I wouldn't even think about it. I just pretty much go go into my DOK, 
go to the top and just be like, cool, uh, these three decks are mid-range, I like them, I'm going to play them. And I probably do really well. And I'm definitely going to do better than the guys who show up with like two combo decks because my decks are just more consistent. Like it's, They're way more consistent, the cards in general are better. I can just pick any set as well. I can just pick my best MM um, mid-range deck, my best AOA mid-range deck, my best Worlds Collide mid-range deck, and I'm going to do really well. Uh, it's just way too powerful, I think. I, there's just no, in my opinion, competitively, if you're not playing a mid-range deck or something that's very close to mid-range, then over the course of a long tournament, I think you just get stunted. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And like, um, since this is what we were kind of getting at in the beginning, like, uh, I think that um, I think mid-range is where it's at because it gives you the most balanced period of, over, of all the things that you could possibly do. And um, there's like no reason like there's no reason to go to a tournament that you have to play nine rounds and basically and this is where we're at we're at a competitive level so like you're going to a tournament you're going to play probably nine plus rounds and if you go with a glass cannon you're you're it's not going to fire for like you're not going to go x2 with it most likely mm -hmm. so um the idea is that um the idea there is that like there is a um there's a value in being balanced, right? And um, yes, you might lose a game or two because of a, you know, a fringe or a bad matchup or something. But the reality is, the better your deck plays against the field, the better your deck is. So if you have a glass cannon deck that just loses outright to control, your your numbers, your percentages of winning are going to be much lower because there's going to be plenty of control and there's going to be plenty of glass cannon, right? Like and like. The the, the, yeah. the card right in the middle, this mid-range deck that we've been talking about, that's the deck that basically brings the most value because you're able to play both sides of the board and you have a chance to win against both sides of the board. And your real only real tough matchups are going to be the decks like your deck that you have to basically out-chess. Like you have to out-think and basically out-play. So um, right. that, that's why professional players lean towards mid-range decks, I think. Yeah, and I think that's really the point that I'm trying to push here, which is mm -hmm. in Keyforge, there are so many things that you have to compensate for right because again it's a unique deck game you show up people are playing the weirdest stuff ever it's not like another game where like if i go to pro tour i know that you know 30 percent of the room is playing the same deck um or a variant thereof like everyone's playing uro and like omnath or whatever's being played in modern right now so it's it's not like that at all but i do know that if i play mid-range i have a game plan of some kind against everything and Unlike other games where, like, what does mid-range usually you lose to um, in, in everything else is aggro, right? Like, in, in every other every other game, mid-range loses to aggro. Like, that's how the, the triangle works, right? Like, aggro loses to control, um, control loses to mid-range, mid-range loses to aggro. Mid-range literally does not exist in... I'm sorry, it, aggro literally does not exist in Keyforge. Um, the closest you get is rush, and even rush is actually countered by mid-range in this game. Um, because you have cards like Graft, you have cards like Too Much to Protect. So there's, it's pretty much there's just no reason not to play it. You you have the ability to play a game plan against literally anything. Um, you have the space, the deck space as well, and I think this is an important uh, thing to consider. Um, you have the deck space to actually have cards that do stuff in every single matchup, right? So like if your deck is dedicated to a combo, probably that means that you have like again, like you have Dark Amber Vault and you have 14 mutants or something in your deck, right? Mm -hmm. That's a lot of space that's not artifact control and it's not amber control and it's not creature control. It's dedicated very much towards this singular game plan. And it gets blown out by sometimes a single card. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Um, yeah, anywho, I think that's uh That's a pretty good I, was, I think that's probably a probably a good time to, to finish things up. I don't know how long we've been talking for, but like Almost I think we've kind of got Almost an hour. Beautiful. We, we I timed hit, it perfectly. We, we always hit the hour, so. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah. Look, it's it, it's it's a it's a really in depth topic. I, I I I've had this conversation with a few people. I think. Um, I think we've talked about it with Z on stream. We got roasted um, <laughs> by the community um, for being being too mean to people. But I think a lot of those points are are, are very relevant as well. It, it's I, I would be genuinely curious what other people think and i would i would particularly be curious of what people's experiences are in the like perhaps people who aren't quite as competitive um or people who are sort of sitting in that like not kitchen table 
but like you know you can win your locals but you probably aren't going to be winning a vault tour like if you're in that sort of range i'm genuinely curious how you perceive this this issue as well because i think it is genuinely an issue um that mid-range is so dominant and that every time that i sit down and play this game i like there i can just autopilot um on so many different matchups because i look at my opponent's deck i say you're not playing mid-range therefore i don't have to think i just i find the one card that i have to counter i play around that and then i win um and maybe maybe it's not this it doesn't play out like that at, at different levels um i know a lot of top players agree with me on this um that mid-range or at least like they've maybe they haven't come out and said to me hey phil i think mid-range is dominant but they've definitely expressed views orally or in writing that would lead me to believe that they agree um that mid-range is overly dominant and i, I i'm curious to to hear other opinions this is the sort of thing that we should definitely have a round table on like yeah. what other people's perceptions of the meta is because when i think of the meta like I don't want I don't want to stress this particular point too much. There are actually certain decks that I think of, like deck names, mm-hmm. um, like when I'm testing and things like that. Like I have printouts of obviously every top deck in the game, mm-hmm. but there are certain like if I'm like okay, like what's a really good mid range deck that I need to think about? Then I'll be like cool, like Akari or Daphne Vega or um, like Candle Holder, um, things like that. Right? Like I'll just be like cool, this is the deck that I need to practice against. Um, and deck names, I think weirdly, it's it's kind of weird. The only deck that I think's reached a particularly particularly large level of fame is maybe a gasoline Maximiliano, which is because it's one two two um, Voltors, and the guy who plays at George is a very nice person, um, <laughs> and like Pink Fraud as well for the same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I don't think like I like this is not a slight on George, but like I I, I think that gasoline um, has dropped off a lot. I think Pink Fraud has also. Uh, dropped off slightly as well. well They're still it, very, very powerful decks. Yeah, I see. I, I think that gas is still pretty, pretty crazy because it is a mid-range, like late-game lock kind of deck. It's not so combo-oriented as like, and even like Duncardo's deck, like Pink Fraud. It's it's amazing and it's really great. But it, even back in the day when it was at its peak, which it is no longer at its peak, I think, like you said. But like even when it was at its peak, it was beatable. Like you, there was there was strategy to play around it and stuff. He was just so good at piloting it that it was really hard to get to that. And like he, you need a little bit of luck in beating him in in the speed department. But um, now it's, it's it's a little bit worse. But it's still there's still amazing decks played by amazing players. So you put that together and like the sum comes up to still a very high win rate, right? Like you're not gonna they're not gonna just disappear um off of the mix right like because the real strategy to how you win a game is you take a player's skill level you take their deck you add it together and basically you get like kind of a sum of like how good that's going to be like for the day and um but nothing in keyforge is like like in a best like if you're playing best of one anybody could win like it's basically a punt like you just hope that you yeah that you do well but when you play best of three you start to see more skill right and then when you play adaptive you see a ton of skill i think because like now you have to adapt to their deck then you have to go back and you have to figure out like how you're going to win with the best deck right so um that's why i've always been a fan of adaptive i think it is the most skill intensive um but it's not the same set of skills as a best of three or a triad right like those basically are a different level of skill because like yes. they're, they're basically yeah. uh, they're like i said they're they're basically like an a- an aggregate of players ability plus their deck and basically piloting better than their opponents so like and at that level like when you're playing super high triad level like phil likes to play um what, what's happening is is that everybody's bringing a super good deck right and the deck that they bring is basically putting them at a certain level that is already ahead of a lot of different people and then you're adding their skill to playing those decks on top of that and um that's where the that's where the real distinction comes up it comes in because if you take an average player with a super deck and you take a, a great player with a super deck the great player will win like 80 percent of the time like you know probably probably even more but like i'm trying to be generous but like the idea is is that like in a best of three like where you have to beat a person that is that outskills you like in this game you are going to lose most of the time that's just how it is sure. unless unless the great equalizer comes into play which is um your deck is that much better than their deck and they are amazing at playing but you are you know very above average to good player um your deck and you will basically make a sum that 
is going to beat the player with the crappier deck, right? Like, because even though they're amazing, they can only do so much with a turd. You can only make a turd look like the Mona Lisa for so long, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, a part of this, and like this is sort of the last thing I want to say, and then we'll sign out, is um, part of the difficulty, I think, talking about metagame, like what, what archetypes are good and what archetypes aren't good, is that worlds didn't happen. I think if worlds happened, we would be talking about you know, decks like so, 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 sort of how um, first-person shooter games used to be called Doom clones. Mm-hmm. Like we'd be talking about, oh, this deck is a Pink Fraud clone. This mm-hmm. deck is a Camel Hoarder clone. Or like those are ar- certain archetypes, and people would recognize players plus decks and be saying, okay, these are particular combinations that we know to be very good. And because we didn't have worlds, we didn't have a massive event where everyone had their eyes on what exactly like the names that were up there um and specifically the deck names that were up there and the deck names that were winning um it's we were kind of getting there with kfpl but it, it it's it, obviously it's a slow process mm-hmm. um it's a uh, I, I really wish it happened because it's like like even now like when we're having a discussion and you have to pull up decks and be like hey what about this one what about this one mm-hmm. it'll be so much easier if i could just say okay so let's talk about akari mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, and then everyone knew okay like akari is this kind of deck it has these certain cards in it mm-hmm. um and and you just be able to go off and say okay this is an archetype and there are the other car- other decks that play very similarly to akari why is that it's because they have similar cards or they have cards that do similar things um and this conversation would just be so much easier unfortunately we didn't have that so I will we kind of have to I, I will give phil's disclaimer that akari is only a 95 because it wants to be the best in assassin that z oh yeah shout out to z man like we all know you're, you're <laughs> we, we know you're smoothing that bad boy over in the background i'll take you any day any day of the week bro with my 94 <laughs> I'll take him with 80s, Maybe. man. Slap him. Yeah. Nah, it's all it's all player skill there. Well, I, I guess I guess that's I guess that's something we've already been talking about in the um in the um our group for the Premier League is that we have all these organizers right now and like Phil has been absent because he's been really busy. But uh, just for your info, but we are thinking about making a like a series where like all the people who are involved in the league play against each other with like top level decks and stuff, and we basically do a like a versus and keep standings and stuff like that just for fun. So um, yeah, I hear Z is going to be on holidays. When's when's that happening? Um, I don't know. Like uh, yeah, well he's going to be on holidays whenever that happens. Oh okay. <laughs> Are you saying that Z is uh, ducking you? Are you saying No, Z I didn't say that. I mean he's just he's just taking some some well deserved time to himself. But it'll, it'll happen to coincide exactly with that time. Alright, I'm gonna make this match happen. It's gonna be a special a special series. Z versus uh Phil. Who wants to see that? Like uh give me a thumbs up for that one. But um I think it would be fun to fun to watch and, and fun to like listen to and commentate for sure. Like that's like one we would have to play with me watching open hands so you guys could see them and then them two just bantering each other because it would be hilarious. But uh anyway, so um we're gonna work on that. So that's the that's all we got for this week's uh Keyforge Premier Weekly. Um this is kind of like a special uh, special edition since uh, Draxcore has been kind of filling in with me as a co-host. Um, we will be back with Draxcore next week. Um, he's really enjoying it, so I'm not going to cut him off. It's really been fun. So, um, But this is one of my guys, like Philip, and like I said, anybody that wants to come on and talk Keyforge, I'm willing to, to get these uh, podcasts out with them. So um, if you have a topic that's just burning and you want to talk about, like Philip had, like boom let's do it like um, i'm game for that and as always phil you're always welcome you're my boy like uh i i look forward to the day i get to shake your hand and actually play a game of keyforge with you <laughs> oh that'll have to be after covid dude no doubt <laughs> <laughs> otherwise you have to use hand sanitizer yeah yeah we'll just we'll, we'll do the air dap <laughs> oh, God. all right i'm out guys thank you for having me <laughs> all right so this is keyboard from weekly this is jupiter from manliness new york this is philip from the aussie land um not new zealand also australia proper so <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but we'll talk to you guys next round Thank you for tuning into the podcast. And if you would like to be part of the conversation, reach out to us at KeyforgePremierLeague at gmail.com and join the show. Without you, we couldn't be us. Check out www.KeyforgePremierLeague.com for links to all our content, including learn to play videos and critique on gameplays. No matter what your level is, you are always welcome. Be a part of it. The Keyforge Premier League get there.